Hi. I have a picture of my family just because I want to see it. Um, I think they have it in the back. Could you throw that up there for me? There's my family. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, Lana. Um, her and I pastor the young adults together. Uh, that's my son, Solomon. He's a stud. And there's my daughter, Pearl. She reads your soul with her eyes, as you can tell. Like, she's just staring fierce. Um, my, uh, the, those, they are full and full of life. And I'm go, I can't wait to see them and hug and cuddle and just squeeze their faces. Um, they're tons of fun. I'm really enjoying being a dad. It's good and probably the hardest thing I've ever done and the funnest thing I've ever done. Um, but yeah, my wife is originally from uh, Alberta, Canada. We met in School of Ministry, and we're loving life in Reading right now. It's a ton of fun. And like I said, we pastor the young adults together, and she's actually speaking this coming up week, uh, and it's going to be a ton of fun. God's been doing something special. You can go ahead and take that down. I know that my kids are cute, but they'll distract me the entire time. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm so honored to be with, with you guys, to spend some time with you and to be welcomed into a community is such a gift and an honor. So I, I really want you to know that I, I take this with such high regard. For me, spending any amount of time with you, it feels like a gift. Meeting uh, Alex through Jake and, and finding out when Jake and Becky were at Tribe serving on our team, being a part of our team, it was a gift to hear them going to different places to start stuff and create things and then have Alex come down and his wife Emily come down to Reading and, and hang out a bit and then... He came back for a leader, one of our events. I don't know what conference that was, but one of them. Just brought him, him and Andoni up to the room. Andoni was in school. I know Andoni from when he did school of ministry. So to just being, like, just so encouraged that you're in safe hands, you know? Like, from the outside in, coming into your environment, just letting you know the, their, their hearts, the conversations regarding you guys and where God is going with you and how much of heaven can we have and enjoy and engage with. They're so hungry, and it's such an honor to have leaders whose heart is set on the presence, whose heart is set on going, how do we just encounter more and more of the presence of God? Because that, that's, that's all of our longings deep down inside is our thirst is not for um, good Sunday services. Our thirsts for, are for him, right? It's, our thirsts are not looking for a good uh, intellectual stimulation. Uh, we're looking for God. And it's a gift to have leaders who are going, that's what we want too. We want to figure out how to structure this. And we want us to be disciples who gather around his presence more than anything else. The cloud by day, the fire by night, that Israel would be guided by. That wherever the cloud of God's presence, if you don't know the story, Israel's journey through the wilderness is led by God's presence. And it was a, a fire by, uh, by night and a cloud by day. It's literally on the back of my shirt for our young adults because you know, like, I'm wearing it right now. Watch, I'll prove it. There we go. I know you're wondering, my back is ripped. I know. You're like, gosh, he's huge, CrossFit. Um, uh, but it, so that cloud by day, fire by night, the, the idea of when, whenever the, the cloud would go a direction, Israel would take their entire camp and go and follow the cloud. Imagine that, settling yourself. Like, imagine that piece of your life being so settled, especially if you're like a bit like change-resistant, and you're like, good, we settled. We've got some crops growing. We've got fruitfulness happening. God is doing a good thing. And then all of a sudden, like, in the night, you open your eyes and this fire, this pillar of fire is going. And everybody's like, round up the troops. We're going. You have to break up with your, like, security things. You know what I mean? You've got to break up with going, like, it's, I've got to feel, like, comfortable. 
it's going, no, the cloud is the greatest place and the fire is where you'll be. I love what, if you don't know who Reinhard Bunke is, he's an amazing evangelist who's gone to be with the Lord. One of the phrases we've been saying lately, because God is doing something wild in our community in Reading. Um, I've been at Bethel for 12 years. Uh, I, I went through school of ministry. Actually, I think Justin was here somewhere. I don't know. We talked to each other in the hallway quickly. There he is over there. We did school of ministry together in 2007. Um, and so I've been at Bethel for, yeah, for 12 years now and super honored and blessed to be a part of what God is doing there. And, but there is this, this, this sense like what God is doing and the phrase that we've been kind of like just egging each other on with is this Reinhard Bonnke quote. And it's so good because it's so intense. And he says this, flies don't land on a hot stove. And it's just the idea that if you're burning for Jesus, no, just no festering, nothing is going to land on you just because it cannot land on a hot stove. You're just going to burn. And if you burn, just the, none of that stuff's going to land on you. It's just going to melt off and just... Psh, so we've been, we've been stirred quite a bit lately, and, and our, our, our services, our times together, our gatherings have been so, um, for lack of a better term, for those of you who are like, this is going to be an interesting word he just said, pregnant. Like, it, like it's so, our, our gatherings together, when our young adults, for example, like last week and the week before, were so charged with God's presence that we, would, we started saying words of knowledge just from the stage and didn't lay hands on anybody. And people just started getting healed without anybody touching them. Nobody laid hands on them. Nobody was ministering to them. We just said the word of knowledge that God was healing, and they started shouting back, I'm healed. And I'm healed. And different, 10 or so different people, just in a moment, just healed by God's presence. So it was, it's been really, really exciting lately. And so I'm honored to be with you guys. I feel, um, to even in our time of worship, I was drawn in. I'm like, oh, man, Lord, I... I, I like to talk, but I like his presence a whole lot more. And so I, I'm, I really want to kind of just allow ourselves to just sit for a moment. I know we've got some time. I've got a bit of a framework I've got to be done by. Uh, but I like more than anything, I, I love just reminding myself to be a little bit more like paused. I'm quite an intense person. Those of you that are meeting me for the first time, I'm originally from New Jersey, grew up in a Puerto Rican family. So loud is my normal. And so when you see me a little bit calmer, it's really because the spirit is like just chilling me out because I'm normally like, sometimes the spirit will be on me and I'm loud, but by default, I'm loud. But when the spirit's on me, sometimes I'm loud. But even in, in it, I'm, I'm, I feel just a, a somberness with the spirit right now. But I, I was drawn in, like even weeping during, um, during worship, being drawn into the presence of God and finding myself like um, starting to feel like uh, undone, you know, like... One of the things we've been telling our young adults specifically in our church community as well is that um, God is removing self-preservation. He's removing what you would use to protect yourself, to protect your image, protect who you are, protect how people perceive you. All of those things are getting just removed because God is beginning to move in a way that beckons you and invites you to die and find life. And in that, you can't keep things you like about yourself that keep you from his presence. Yeah, let me explain it like this. I have preferences. I have things I enjoy, things I don't like. I have things, people I like that some people I'm getting to like. You know what I'm saying? I'm a pastor. I meet a lot of people. <laughs> um, 
But like, there's also like tastes. I have tastes that I like certain things and don't like certain things. I have personalities that make me feel good and other personalities that, that don't. I have my own personality in and of myself. But something I've learned is if I deeply hunger for God's presence, if, I, if my love for God's presence is paramount in my life, if I deeply long to know Jesus with me there, the presence of God with me, if I long, and that is the priority of my life, to experience his presence and know him. As Paul says, I count all as lost that I may gain Christ and know him. Okay? You're not going to find another goal there. Like that is the goal, right? To know him. Eternal life, to know God. That intimate knowledge. There's a, we say there's a difference between knowing Mike Tyson hits hard because you know he hits hard, and it's another thing to know Mike Tyson hits hard because you've been hit by Mike Tyson. <laughs> one, one knowledge changes the way you live your life. You know what I'm saying? One knowledge keeps you going, I got it, cool, Mike Tyson hits hard. The other time you're like, look, Mike Tyson hits hard. Um, you have it by experience, that experiential knowledge of who God is. And that longing to know him more and more. But the, the self-preservation thing, I have my preferences, but if the presence of God and knowing him is my priority, my focus, the thing I long for the most, to know him, then all of my preferences and all the things that I enjoy come under my desire for the presence of God. They're surrendered. They're submitted. So the things that I like, I get to hold on to, but when it's them or the presence, they, they, they go. So if someone's a little bit louder than me, but it bothers my preferences, I'm longing for presence, not my preferences to be in, like catered to. Okay. Um, so here's the interesting thing, right? Oh, we're going in a different direction tonight. Here, this is it. If you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to Matthew. Let's start. Can we start in like, let me find here. I think it's this part. Let me find out. Yeah, you know, I don't want to send you to the wrong location. Matthew 13, go there. We'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll do this tonight. <clears throat> Got a little of a, bit of a tickle in my throat that's happening, so forgive the, the coughs or things like that. <clears throat> so Matthew 13. Verse 53. You guys with me? I love when you tell people to go somewhere in the Bible. Matt, the Gospels are pretty relatively easy to find, but when you mention like a book that's kind of hard to find in the Bible, people don't ever want you, want you to see that they don't know where it's at, especially in church. So like you like hide the table of contents. You're like, <laughs> of course I knew where that was. Name, yeah, it's like, no, dude, it's a big book. It's all good. It's all good. Listen, it's okay. You're not better or worse. All right. You guys there? 53, I'm stalling a little bit to make sure we're all at verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there coming to his hometown. How many people are from Newburgh? Like born and raised Newburgh? Well, keep your hands up. I want to see you. That born and raised Newburgh. Born and raised Newburgh. Okay, how many people have lived in Newburgh, like, just, just moved here in the last year? Whoa, cool, awesome. Just getting a grid for the lay of the land here. So hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not, is, is not his mother called Mary? 
Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. <clears throat> I want to show you something. There's a couple different places we're going to go from this specific framework, okay? And the framework here is Jesus goes to his hometown, right? Home crowd, goes to be with them. And when he goes to be with them, he begins to speak. And at first they're captivated, astonished. Then something settles on them, their familiarity with him. They're knowing and knowing of him that somehow in their mind discredits him. First they're astonished. Then they're like, is that not that dude? Is that not this person? So what happens is their hearts are plucked, right? They're drawn in for a moment. The, they, their guard goes down. The self-preservation disappears. They're willing to enter in, right? They're willing to be like, whoa, what is happening? And then all of a sudden, their heart goes, something starts to mess with it. And then they're like, I know you. You're a faker. That manifestation, I know you. What they begin to do is discredit receiving from Jesus. They begin to quench what Jesus is doing by their, which is like, quench would be like this taking a hose that has water flowing through it and going, it doesn't shut the flow off. It just keeps it from going where it's meant to go. So all of a sudden, they're finding themselves not knowing how to handle Jesus. And what, and what we're seeing here is, is it goes further into the story. Jesus goes, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. He links what is happening in their hearts for a lack of honor for him. He, he's saying that they don't have honor for who I am. Therefore, they get offended and stumble over stuff that they know about me that could discredit me in their eyes, and that actually stops the spirit from moving in their life, and he eventually calls it unbelief. And then it did not do many works there, and he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Now, here's the interesting thing. They could not stop Jesus from flowing in miracles because he did miracles there still, I said. He just couldn't do many of them. And there's a difference. Why is that highlighted? Why does Jesus highlight that? Why does Jesus highlight the idea and the writer of Matthew highlight the idea that he did not do many mighty works there? And, and they give a reason for it because they're unbelief. And we know what form that unbelief took. It wasn't a regular like, I just don't believe in God's healing power. It was actually an inability to honor Jesus. And I'm talking about the per person Jesus that they knew. It wasn't like, oh, the deity of God, of course we would honor you, Jesus. Holy, oh my gosh, you're so holy. It was all the earthly things about Jesus that they knew. It's all the things you would know about the person in the room that you know right now here that would discredit them in your eyes from being someone in which God would move through. So there's two things happening here. Jesus calls the unbelief their inability to honor him and honor who he is. 
And that, that has Paul, sorry, Matthew has this idea. He, he talks about it, it, it affected them in such a way that he only did a few miracles there. He couldn't do many miracles there. What happens when a group of people decide to honor the reverse of what Matthew says? Mighty miracles begin to take place. Why? Because there's an openness now. Why do you think the scriptures say, honor your father and mother and you'll have life? Because honor is the way that you receive in the kingdom of God. And if you decide to honor the presence of God above your preferences, you begin to receive always. But when you put your preferences above, I mean, it's got to look like this, be like this, this kind, of sign, this kind of person there, this kind of person not there, this kind of worship song, this way of response, this is the way that we, would, we minister, this is the way that we teach, and it's got to look like this, and you've fallen in love with what you do, not why you do it. It begins to cut off the flow in which God begins to move in in a large setting even. Because what happens when a group of people like you all begin to say, we surrender our preferences to, to honor the presence of God. And we honor the presence of God. One of the tests of honoring the presence of God is honoring it on you and on you and on you, despite what you are so different than me. Recognizing God flowing through a person. If you can't actually go to someone and have them pray for you and minister to you, because you have some kind of complex in which you can't receive from them, I'm going to show you a passage of scripture that's going to make you want to change a lot of that. Second Samuel chapter 6. We all know David's crazy story about carrying this ark, right? It's nuts. David dances undignified. We find out dignity is not a fruit of the spirit here. We find David is going, you know what? I am going to be undignified. Do you know that if you've grown up in church for any length of time in your youth that you know I will be more undignified than this? But it's quite a wild story. It's quite an interesting thing happening. So David, verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. Here's the a, here's a part. I love this. In C.S. Lewis's book, um, The Magician's Nephew, he, t- he begins to talk uh, about the earth being created. And he said the, the, the singer would sing and then the colors would be so vibrant and bright that everything began to fade away. When I, when I, was, when I got married to my wife, which is now we're going 10 years in May, I remember when she walked out the aisle, the crowd disappeared, right? Because of my love for her was so strong that she became the focus, right? She disappeared. Everything else disappeared. She was in focus. And when David is dancing with all his might, it means there's nothing left for anything else, right? He's, he's not concerned with preserving his life. He's not concerned with preserving his reputation. He's not concerned with preserving how the person on his right and left will feel about him. He's not concerned about those things. What he's concerned about the most is the ark of the presence in which he is ushering into the place it was meant to be. So if Newburgh is meant to be a place where God's presence is so saturating, it must be filled with people who are letting go of self-preservation for his presence. When God beckons you into his presence, he beckons you with a sword still. And you're like, I don't want to go into that. And he's like, don't worry, I'm going to kill everything that you don't want anyway. 
He's getting rid of all the pieces that you didn't know you needed to get rid of so you could be the dream he dreamed up. And so in this moment, Israel is dealing with this ark, and they're moving it forward, and David is dancing with all his might, wearing a linen ephod. So imagine if Alex came in here with a linen ephod just, like, going. You guys would be a little bit freaked out. I mean, he's probably very, very buff. He looks quite buff, but still we'd be a little uncomfortable. So David and all the house of, the, of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. I love it. People are like, why do we need to get loud? Why do we need to shout? I don't know, but they did it. They're like, well, why does it matter? I'm like, I don't know, but walls fell down when Jericho, when they did it. So I'm looking for breakthrough. I don't know what you're looking for. If you're looking to preserve your life, then don't shout. But if you're looking for breakthrough, then just let's experiment. You know what I mean? If you're looking to keep yourself intact, then don't shout. That's fine. But if you're looking to see what just might happen if we lean into God and do something like this, then I'm like, oh, come on, you're on the team. You're in. So shouting with the sound of a horn, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. You know, there's another story in which someone's extravagance exposed the bitterness in somebody's heart. Judas and the alabaster heart. And the al- well, that's a song, Alabaster Heart, by my <laughs> close friend, Callie. The alabaster jar, Judas can't handle her extravagance. He can't handle her givenness to Jesus in such a measure that he says, he, ch- he covers up the bitterness of his heart with religious talk. He says, we could have used that for this. We could have used that to, for, to help the poor. But her worship, what was Jesus was trying to highlight in Judas's bitterness was exposed in the extravagance of her worship. Just like Saul's daughter's heart was exposed and despised David, David's extravagance. And I love this kind of exchange here. It's quite intense. She despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished the offering, the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed among them all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all of the people departed, each to his house. David returned to bless his household. But Michal, was the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. And said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. That bitterness starts to come out, right? She's mocking David. And David responds right back. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. And above all his house to appoint me as the prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will make merry before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more undignified than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. David is essentially saying, you will, you will be upset with my, my extravagant love for God's presence and my honoring of his presence to the point where I honor him more than anything else. And that will upset you. And your inability to, to 
honor what God is doing inside me and your inability to honor his presence on me is going to leave you in a weird place. But the people in whom you think it's going to mess them up, they're actually going to hold me in great honor. But here's the part I want us to see. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. The lack of honor welcomed a barrenness in her. The same way the lack of honor towards Jesus limited his flow and what he could do in that place. And, and this woman, the barrenness was welcomed there because of the bitterness and the, the not, and the inability to honor what David was going. And Jesus says this, inability to honor what David was going after. And in, in earlier in Matthew, Matthew 10, verse 40. You guys doing okay? Okay, you're quite quiet. I'm going to nervously drink my water. Matthew 10, verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. Woo! Stop, pause. Whoever receives you receives me. Your value for God's presence, like I said earlier, will be in how you honor one another. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives you receives me. So if you cannot honor one another, receive from one another... How can you receive from the presence of God? Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. You see, he's talking about the level of honor you have determines what you receive. So if you go, oh, I'm going to honor him like a prophet, I will receive from them the reward that is from a prophet. But the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. So he's letting us see again that this issue of honor for God's presence and for one another are so linked, right? And when we begin to value his presence above our preferences, we engage in such a way that we allow ourselves to be the one that goes on the altar and says, my life is the sacrifice. I am not looking to protect and preserve my life. I am looking to lay my life down at your feet, Jesus. I'm looking to receive from you, and, I, honor, and I, I value your presence so much, God, that I want to value it on every person around me. So what I will do in my honor for your presence, how I will demonstrate my honor for your presence will be in how I honor my brother and my sister, how I honor my leader and the people around me. Those things are going to determine what you begin to receive. Honor is terrifying for some people because they've, they're like, that idea feels abusive or so they've heard bad leadership and they've experienced poor things when it comes to honoring someone and, and the idea that it's going to create a, celebrate, uh, a, a celebrity kind of culture. If anything, Paul, Paul says in Romans that he's like, outdo one another in honor. He's like, if you're going to try to turn something up, make sure it's honor. <laughs> if you're going to, I want you to outdo. What does outdo one another in honor look like? It looks like this. When me and my best friend get to dinner, it's a race to the table on who's going to pay for the meal. It's a race because I'm displaying my honor for him. I've been at places where I'm like, I texted someone going, 
don't pay yet because I'm paying. And I'm like, I know you're going to try to beat me, but you're not going to beat me. I'm, I'm paying for your meal today because I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to make sure that my value for God's presence is also seen in my value for his people. So I will value you the same way I value his presence because I want to receive from his presence, whether it's from you or from his presence directly. And so when I'm coming to a gathering like this, the first priority is do I honor the presence of God? And it's going to be measured in how much I give of myself to him, not how much am I taking from an environment. It's going to be measured in how much do I offer of my life to him in extravagant worship. And it doesn't look the same for all of us. We're not looking for everybody to look the same. That's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for conformity. We're looking for unity. And unity is only possible in diversity. It is not possible in conformity. We're not trying to all look the same. What we, are, what we are trying to do is, as A.W. Tozer would say, when you tune all the instruments to the same tuning fork, we all sync up, but we're different instruments. So if we focus on the same thing, we'll be in sync. But if we just keep trying to be unified and be each other, then it's not going to work. But if we all tune to the same tuning fork, which is God's presence, all of a sudden we'll be in sync and there'll be a unity of the spirit that you didn't create. But it, the, here, here's what's going to, when you begin to honor the presence on people and in the room, so coming to a service, my main goal is going, I need to honor the presence of God. Meaning this, I need to give place for it, space for it in front of me, value to it. Worship is one of the first ways we can do that even. Worship isn't the warm up for the message. Like that's not the goal. The goal isn't going, how do we get a good song that gets us right, ramped up and ready to go? I'm looking to figure out, I'm like, I'm going, where are you? I'm setting my sails and going, wind, where are you? And when I find it to any measure, if it's an ounce, I will look around a room in worship just to look for somebody who's caught up. Just to find someone who's loving him because I'm going, all right, there you are. There you are. Okay, God, I know they're a gateway into you because I want to honor what you're doing in them and I honor what's happening in them. I want that to be what's going on in me. I want what's, instead of being like, oh my God, do you see them? (laughs) Especially if you're in our church, right? Our church is a bit weird. So it would not be like, especially in our recently, like our young adult service, it would not be unusual right now for that petite beautiful woman you saw up there scream because of her hunger for God's presence or she's like I don't care what anybody else thinks about me right now we came out of a very unique season some of you may or may not be aware but our closest friends Callie and Andrew Langenthal lost their baby Olive and we were with them every day and we said we do not care what the world thinks about us I take Jesus at his word he's the one that told me to raise the dead not somebody else he said, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. I didn't make that up. He did. And so I go, changing the game is not what I'm here to do. I'm not supposed to lower Christianity to my level of experience. I am meant to raise my experience to the words of Jesus. And so I am pushing into that. Going, and the only way to do that is to let go of my life and go, I want this one thing. And that's the only thing I want. And whatever it looks like, I do not care what it looks like. I want more and I am hungry for God. And I know the burning passion inside of me may make others feel uncomfortable. I don't try to curb myself to become pleasant because people need an example of what it looks like to burn. Because if they don't see it, 
They don't find it in people. And if you're thinking, I can just burn by myself and I don't need to express it. When I come to church, I'm, I try to keep myself reserved, calm, cool, and collective. Can you quote Corinthians about order? I'm telling you, look at Acts doesn't look like order. So I get what we're saying when we're going there. I'm not looking for chaos for chaos sake. I am looking for surrender. And a surrender looks like chaos to me, but is order to God. I'm in. Because when we say order, sometimes we actually mean our preference. We, may, we mean, I like it. I'm straight lined and I like it clean. Everything should be orderly. I'm like, you're going to start read some. Some stuff is not going to look orderly when you read the New Testament. But my value is to honor his presence. And so that we, um, if you've ever been, I don't know if there's a ton of wakeboarding or wake surfing around here. Is there a lot? No, none? Okay. When you go wakeboarding, we have a big lake, we have a couple of big lakes by us. Um, when you go wakeboarding or wake surfing and you fall in the water, the boat that's driving you is meant to put up a flag, okay? Well, you know the flag is not for you because you're, you're in the water. And the flag is not for the boat because the boat is driving you. The flag is for all other boats, okay? It's for all other boats to do this. I cannot see, but that boat is telling me there's something in the water that I cannot see. So I'm looking for flags, in worship, I'm looking for flags. I'm going, where is the flag? Oh, there's something in the water I can't see. Respond to the flag. I see it. I'm going to honor what they're recognizing in God's presence, and I'm going to jump in on it. I'm going to jump in on it. I'm going to jump in on what God's doing. I'm going to jump in because I want to be where he is, not where I have left my security at. I want to go where the cloud is leading me, not where I set up my camp and felt really comfortable. I want to go where he's going, not where I've set up my preferences. And I'm telling you, there's, God will love you like where you're at. That is not the issue at hand right now. And God loves bringing you things that are beautiful to you. Like that is not the question here. He's not a cruel father. I'll tell you what though. He's such a good father that he refuses to be content by giving you gifts. <laughs> he wants to give you himself. He's like, gifts are not enough for me. They may be enough for you, but they are not enough for me. I want to give you me. I want to give you me. It's like my kids. I'm bringing them gifts. I went to the Nike. Am I allowed to say I went to the company store, Nike? I don't know how those rules work. They were like, it's real secretive. You got to have a pass and, and stuff. And like, so like I bought these awesome Nike boots and I, I bought my kids these shoes. I'm so stoked to give them these shoes, but more than give them those shoes, I'm so pumped to grab my son and to cuddle him and hold him and kiss him and my daughter to give her big kisses and hold him and cuddle him because I want the gift of myself to them, not the Nikes I'm bringing them. They're going to be stoked about the Nikes, but my son isn't going to run first and say, Dad, did you bring me something? He's going to say, Dad, you're here. When I come home, my son goes like, this is what he says. I open the door, he goes, Guys, look who's here. Dad's here. Dad's here. And he comes running. He and then after that, he goes, did you bring me something? <laughs> He's yet to greet me, though, with, did you bring me something? He only has, did you bring me something, when I've told him, I'm coming home with something. And I don't ever look at him wrong when he comes to me. After I've told him I'm bringing him something, if he greets me with, what did you bring me? I don't go, ooh, you should be wanting me, not the gift that I was going to bring you. I set his expectations. Yeah. 
Listen, we need to change our framework on God. God's all like, I've got these great things. And you're like, ooh, I shouldn't want them. <laughs> if he set the expectations, he's not cruel going, ooh, I played a little game with you. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Mm, a little bit of manipulation on my end. I like you, don't like you, like you, don't like you. No, he's a kind, kind father, kinder than we can imagine. And so when we begin to honor his presence, we recognize that honor flows in our relationships to one another, but I treat you differently when I value the presence of God. Can I see Jesus in you and treat you the way I would treat Jesus? If you were taking Jesus out for lunch, would you anticipate him to pay the bill or would you go, you know what, Jesus, I got it. All that you've done for me, a lunch is all I could, the least I could do. You know, Jesus lays out the thing. He's like, yo, check out my scars. Look what I've done for you. And you're like, can you take the bill? <laughs> you're having lunch with Jesus. You're paying the bill. Because you're like, I just want to honor you. I want to honor you with my life, with all I have. And it's the same way when we're, we're looking to out, Paul's language of outdo one another in honor is because he's trying to get a community that knows how to receive from God. Because they receive from one another and they receive from God directly. David has such a unique life. And the way that he had to learn honor is crazy. We know, if you know the Bible to any kind of length with David's story, then you know about Saul. You know about Saul trying to kill him. You know about Saul being a poor leader and his failures as a leader. But yet David refuses to kill him, right? He refuses to get on Twitter. And he refuses to get on Yelp and write a review. I love it. We were, we were, in, um, we were in a restaurant... And our waiter was horrendous. Like, so bad. And, and we're like, this guy is stressed. So bad. Well, like, I'm, like, I'm telling you, like, it was bad service. And we all looked at each other and we're like, we're going to give him the best tip he's ever received. <laughs> Why? Because my tip isn't based off him. <laughs> I don't tip based off my service. Tips actually used to come out, the way that tips worked is to ensure prompt service. To ensure prompt service, tips. You actually put your tip before your meal. That's how tips originally were started. I don't tip him because he does good service. I tip him because I'm an honorable person. And I will treat you with honor and show you your worth to you when you don't remember it. And so honor... It's about seeing the worth in one another because we recognize who we are and we go, all right, how am I going to honor you? I'm going to value you, listen to you, give space for your words, care for you. The same way you care for God's presence. I'm going to listen to you. I'm actually going to learn how to submit to you. Because if you're in marriage, if you're married and you're like, all right, I don't do that whole submission thing. Get ready to be single the rest of your life, not by God's design, but by your inability to learn how to be submissive. Because you honor one another, but you submit to one another. It's a dance, back and forth, back and forth, and there's no domination. Okay, let's put it like this. 
Jesus says, I only see what I, uh, what I do. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is going to take all that is mine and make it known to you. He won't speak on his own accord. Now, in the Trinity, who's above the other? So it's your question. There's no hierarchy in the Trinity. It's not God the Father over God the Son and God the Spirit. It's not how that works. So when the, when the Son says, I only do what I see the Father doing, he's relationally submitting to the Father, not, having the, not going, all right, now the Father's more qualified than me, therefore I must submit to him. No, he's saying relationally we're giving other-centered love and space for the other and mutual surrender, and we're doing a dance back and forth, and I'll submit to you. You're going to work through me because he hears from the Father, I will give you the name above every name. So if you're worried about where you're going to go if you surrender, Jesus is like, you get the high seat after it. You get the high seat after And so the, the, the way that we look at leadership needs to even change. Because we're not looking for who will we hierarchy, like who will be at the hierarchy over us. It's our relational submission to come under who is meant to lead us. The same way David goes, I will not kill you, Saul, because you are actually the Lord's anointed. David knew he was anointed to be king. David is not calling on present information about Saul. He's actually reminding Saul about something about who he is. Because David was actually anointed king while he's being hunted by Saul. So this is not like David going, I actually don't know my destiny. I don't know that I am the Lord's anointed and called to be king. I don't know that. No, David knows that and knows that Saul is acting out of a different place. And he's reminding him who he is in his honor. And so when we are looking to honor, it's even when we don't agree with someone, honor looks like I will remind you your worth when we're not in a good place. Is that me doing that? That boop. Am I hitting something? Okay, sorry. That's just, just a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> um, okay, I'm, so, I'm okay. So if we're in a gathering together and we value the presence, we're going to value it on, on anybody God is moving through in whatever way it looks. Jesus even, like, people, ugh, I don't have enough time. But let me say this. Jesus gets asked about a situation where it's like, isn't that going to lead to, like, bad stuff happening? And Jesus is like, let the wheat grow with the tares. And when it's time... We'll take all the wheat, and that's when we'll take out those weeds. If you become overcorrective right away, you'll kill the real with the bad. If you become overcorrective right away, you will actually kill what is good in your desire to protect the good. So what you need to do is give space, because if you don't give space, people will never take risk for God's presence. Because it's got to be perfect. Or it'll be reprimanded. 
And no one wants to be, per- no one knows, no one, like no one's gonna be perfect. So when, when imperfect is reprimanded right away, like we won't take, we no longer are looking to be hungry and risk in a gathering, even this size. We're like, what's gonna happen? What are they gonna do to me? When you start to experience God in a way that's new and fresh and different, because I don't get to determine how God speaks to me. If he's going to talk through a donkey, I'm pretty sure he's going to talk to anybody through. To, I don't get to determine how he speaks to me. I don't get to determine what he does to me and what it looks like. I don't get to say, God, I am a type A, and this is what it's like for me. I don't get to determine that. If you want God's spirit, everything gets surrendered, your personality and all. You can't be full of the spirit while we're remaining 5% of whatever you want to keep. It's like not 95% full. It doesn't work. And we have to risk going, what does it look like to be completely full? Overflowing. And laying down anything that I know is what would allow that. Because here's the thing. It's so interesting. The Holy Spirit is wild and crazy, but he's respectful. So any kind of resistance over a long time will be respected to the point where it will destroy you. And he'll go, you've chosen this. And he'll go, I've actually like tried to woo you. But you've chosen this. Remember that time like you kept resisting and kept resisting and kept resisting? You fought the tears because you didn't want anybody to see you crying? Over time, you started to develop a callousness. Okay, holy spirit. The... No one can make you surrender. No amount of hype, no amount of persuasion, no amount of sermons. None of that. And I'll tell you what, surrender is the most natural response to seeing him with clarity. The most natural response to being aware of him is surrender. When you see him clearly and God pulls back the veil, so to speak, and lets you see him and you find yourself longing for him in a way you did not long for him moments before and you start to honor that moment with him and you start to give space to it and you don't rush out of it and you don't choose to like say no. Jake, you want to come up? We'll do a little bit of ministry. Just play behind me and we'll we'll get started here. I don't want to keep you guys late, but I want to listen I want to honor your time. And... But when he starts to move, my job is to continually, continually, um, if I say this, my job is to continually co- and let go. Be still and know that I am God. Let go and let me be God. The Hebrew word for still there is let go. Now, there's two ruts that we need to be careful of when we're pursuing something like this, like a move of God's spirit. There's two ruts, 
in the road. The one right on the road is, is on this side. And it looks like this. It says, God is sovereign. So if he wants to touch me, he'll touch me right here. If he wanted to move, he would, he would move right now with me right here. I don't have to do anything for God to move. And there's an exaggeration in a way that says, God's sovereign, therefore I have no responsibility of participation. And there's an exaggeration there. And then on the other right is this. God's not going to move unless I do this, 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 and this, and hold my nose like this and put my hand up like this. And there's an exaggeration on your participation. And it becomes superstitious. So on this side is a superstition, and on this side is a callousness that just says, if God wants to touch me, he'll touch me right here. If God, want, if God, if God is God and he want to do it, why wouldn't he just do it right here? I, 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 want, I, I want to take that paradigm and put it into a marriage. If you loved me, why wouldn't you just come across the table and love me? If you, if you wanted to love me, why would you not come, come over here and love me? It doesn't work. The logic doesn't work in an intimate relationship. It, wor- it works in an ideological stubbornness. But it doesn't work in a relationship. So I, I can sense a wooing of people's hearts to him. And a discerning of like, oh, you know what? God is starting to do something. This was not the direction I intended to go. Like, I could show you all my notes for a totally different message. Like, I'm going, I got nothing. That was not, like, I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, this is where you want to go. Let's go. It's not my plan. I'm not trying to be eloquent. I'm trying to be obedient. And so I'm like trying to lean in, trying to put my sails up going, which direction are you going, Spirit? I want to go with you. Cloud, where are you going? And what I want to do is I want to honor first those that have actually started to feel that burning inside them. I'm not trying to isolate those that didn't. I'm not saying you're not getting something from God if this isn't happening to you. But I want to honor those that are going, ooh, something's going on inside me. And the way I want to honor it is I actually just want you just to allow yourself to like just stand up and allow yourself to surrender and open your hands out to him. And it's going to be an act that's going to break some fear of man which is so good for us. So if that's you and you're like, oh, during that message, something started to come alive in me. Something started to like stir up in me. I just want to give you a little bit of a moment for you to just stand. And then as you stand, your goal is not to stand and look at me. Your goal is actually to say, well, God, I'm responding and I'm honoring what you're doing in me. It's like it's honoring the presence of God moving in you right now is what I want to teach you. And allowing yourself to honor that. Now, all right, just, okay, guys, just trust me for a little bit, okay? I love you. And I want to see God move in all kinds of ways. But here's what we're going to do first, just for a second. A little bit longer here. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm already way over. Just allow yourself to kind of like move out of where you are standing. And just move like a little bit into the rows for a second. Just a little bit into the rows, like there, just for a little bit longer. And Jacob's going to sing... The alabaster, he was singing it earlier, all my love, which is which just rocks me. We can just stay right here. We're going to pray for healing right before the end of this thing because there's, there's a few things that I want to pray for before we go. But I want Jacob just to lead this song here for us, in the, at least the, in the, the bridge there, all my love. Yeah. And I want you to begin to honor the presence of God and not 
Not think about anybody else and let yourself go with him. So sing it like you really want to sing it. <laughs>